0: of Bob Seger. I ain't good looking but I ain't shy. Dude, great fucking song. Dude, great song. Great song. Right,
1: aside from that, we are actually already rolling. We're rolling. So we can start Hell rolling. yeah. Did you listen to make sure everything sounded okay? We're good. It sounds good. Okay. Cool. We can just continue the conversation we were having. Cody Parson, thank you for coming
0: on. Welcome to the show. Um, yeah, continue saying you you guys were rolling out as the rhythm section for hire. You went yeah, through the we, band.
1: We played with, um, so first it was with uh, Teo Holden. TH3 was the name of the band. Then we did Dustin Sellers. And then we've done, I, I, I feel like there's some that I'm forgetting, but Violent Moons was another one. And we've played for a couple more people, I feel like, too. It's it's more than just that, but I can't remember everything we've done. We actually have a gig at the end of September that we're playing, too, at cheekwood botanical gardens okay with this uh this guy his name is dan klug he was on the podcast last year but he does these instrumental covers of grateful
0: dead songs so we're like a piano trio so it's piano drums and bass okay so you guys are holding down like a dead rhythm section for like a that's pretty tight but it's done
1: (laughs) in like a a, like a, a neo soul kind of style so like interesting uh, so it
0: kind of sets you guys apart from the typical dead jam yeah well yeah
1: exactly for sure yeah and the, the name of the the band itself is the fundamental sound really it's just dan he records everything but he lives up in new york city and he um he had talked to me right after we did the podcast because i did that one just remote with him over zoom and he's like hey i think i might have a gig down in nashville uh next year towards the end of the year would you be interested in in Playing, do you know a drummer? And I was like, Yeah, definitely, absolutely. So I (laughs) I, naturally, I was just like, Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna call James to do (coughs) this, and we're both so busy now. I'm like, Once you start getting, yeah, you get start getting busy in Nashville, it's harder to play with your friends. And like, so once I knew I had something, I was like, I'm gonna ask James to do it because we haven't hung out in a minute. Right. We. We just they're like, well, I know I can lock
0: in with this guy on the mod. Yeah, so exactly. Him. Well,
1: that's the thing. I always like getting hired as a bass player. I don't. I never mind when there's a drummer that's already in the band. Yeah. But if I get to pick the drummer, it's always awesome because I have two or three people that I know I can call. One of them is going to be available, and I know I'm going to fucking gonna sound be, good with them. Great. Great. That's um, the that's
0: the pocket baby. That's what you want.
1: Yeah. My little for black book. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One hundred percent. So, when is Possum Sock this year?
0: Possum Sock is in two weeks, man. It's uh, September 15th and 16th. September 15th and At, 16th. At uh, Red River Canoe. Any listeners that uh, went to Bobfest last year, the Ragcoats guys put it on. They did it for free last year. Yeah. Um, that's why it might have uh, attracted a few different people. Um, that venue that's right on the Red River, that's where we're doing it. Same place.
1: Okay. Very so, cool. So,
0: um, we're, we're pretty excited because uh, this is year nine. Damn. And uh, we've never been on the water before, so I'm interested to see how it rolls, baby. So, uh, you were the one who started Possum Stock? Yes, sir. Okay. What I, was the first Possum Stock like? Um, Pretty DIY, much Hell like yeah. all Possum Stocks. That's what I
1: love about fucking Clarksville people, dude.
0: It's DIY to the, to the fucking it's bone. It's been to the max, man. I... Um, a big part of that is attributed to, uh, what really came before in our scene. Okay. Um, if you go back, uh, back in the days, right with the, uh, Clarksville's always kind of had some, uh, some bands coming through it and original music on the outlines of Nashville, everywhere over Tennessee's had pretty decent bands from everywhere. Yeah. It's like, it's the culture of this area, mm-hmm. but, um, interestingly enough, like Clarksville, uh. It had a real sect and a real big separation in the early 2000s, much like, I believe, a lot of scenes around, like, the country and probably the world did because of the inception of the internet. Yeah. When the internet was born, you had an entire generation of kids that would have loved going to live music, but the only places at this point, probably like the early 2000s, late 90s, um, were, like, bars and clubs. Yeah. And kids... Teenagers even couldn't get into a lot of those clubs unless they're sneaking in, and it, yeah. as time went on, consequences have gotten worse for everything. Lol. so yeah. whatever it's it, as uh, you can see, it wasn't a good idea. But what wound up happening is the uh, the days of MySpace and like early social media and the internet, and like all of that boomed like a whole DIY culture. That was able to be coordinated and to like really fall in the Mm -hmm. inception and a group of kids that started putting shows on in Clarksville around that time because they couldn't go to bars because none of them were old enough. They're all like 15, 16, 17, um, got together one year and said, you know, like we do this all the time. We need to make a venue. And it was called The Coup and it was open from 2008 to uh, 2014. And uh, I graduated high school in 2009. Yeah. So, man, right at the end of my high school years, like I've always I started playing guitar at, like 14, so I was ready to like be in a band and I was that's all I ever freaking craved anyway. Yeah. And this place sprouted up in our city that was like Hosting insane bands like crazy metal bands back, like Doctor Aculo played there, um, Title Fight played The Coup, like all kinds of crazy bands that would go on to do cool stuff. Played our little DIY spot, and it all came from these people that were underage and like out of the Christian metalcore scene. And oh were just shit. like, That's hey funny. man, we're gonna start throwing basement shows and house shows and.
1: Dude, I love a good fucking house show. Even today, there's even
0: today, there's dude. There's, dude, there's nothing, nothing like it. Yeah, it's a different it's a different thing <laughs> well it's
1: it's self-policing too you know it, what i mean exactly you can get away with more and you can get away with less at the same time it's the time. law of karma <laughs> yeah absolutely 100 percent. yeah
0: what is the craziest thing you've seen happen at a house show um the craziest thing i've seen happen I don't want to say fights, because that's, like, typical, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, that just happens. I don't want to say it's typical, like, especially in Clarksville, we're, we're a pretty peaceful scene, re- re- relatively. But yeah. um, everybody would rather have, like, hissy drama than, like, actual fighting drama, yeah. luckily. But, um, honestly, uh, probably... Oh, here's here's some guys that you know, some buddies. Here's some little throwbacks with some people in it. Um, A couple of years ago, this is, like, 2017, maybe... Um, the guys in Hollow Roots. Okay. I don't Um, know if I know Hollow Roots. Um, well, the guys in Hollow Roots, they're also all in a bunch of different other bands too. They all, they're all busy dudes. Um, but they were hosting a house show at their spot, like in middle of February and this huge, like downpour came down and, uh, it happened kind of in the middle of the show and it was a good turnout for a good Nashville DIY show. It was like probably 70, 80 people. It was a good turnout. Yeah. Man, this this rain came down and we were all just like stuck in their yard. It was just like a soup of like mud were like
1: people's cars and shit of, stuck. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like
0: everywhere. It was yeah, naturally. It, it yeah, that was that was probably that was the worst like house show experience probably. That like other than that I've seen a, a I've walked up and two guys were playing Warhammer forty K in a house show before. But I kind of I'm I'm about crazy stuff like that too. What, so. what is that?
1: That's the little. That's fucking... the
0: crazy little miniatures yeah. and like people are measuring and rolling dice on the oh, table. Oh shit! Yeah, like, yeah, I know. And th- these yeah. guys are like sitting. They're all like there's like four or five people all gather around like what the hell is this? And these guys are smoking weed. They're like, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. you know, the playing lawlessness. Warhammer, yeah, you know, playing Warhammer. And I've seen people play Pokemon, Magic the Gathering. You know, in the middle of the house show. Yeah. Just like it's it's but it's it, it's normal. It's normal enough, you know. Danny, uh, so Warhammer is
1: what fucking uh, Space ra- Space Rats is based off of.
0: Oh, seriously? Yeah,
1: yeah. So the, our, we have a friend, uh, Indy, who was on a recent episode. Um, he plays this, what he calls Space Rats. He plays this game, and it's, like, in the
0: Warhammer universe. Oh, man, he's, it's probably Vermintide. Uh, yeah. Or one of those. <laughs> that, that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably one of those something games. like that. Yeah. yeah, I got you. Yeah. Some people, uh, it's one of those IPs. It's one of those, like franchises that's actually been around for nearly 50 years it's been around for like 40 years wow and it's another british franchise that was really big so in the world of like sci-fi it's it's one and henry cavill superman came out and was like a warhammer so yeah well he's popped off
1: he's adapting uh they're doing a show on amazon prime that's gonna be warhammer people
0: are gonna lose it's gonna only gonna get bigger baby yeah it it is i'm a warhammer nerd really you do a lot you play I, I do, man. I am a I'm a DM of like five years. I am a, a Warhammer nerd. I am a lot of very nerdy things on top. If as much as I love music and being like the music guy and being involved in all that is 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 just as much as I love like really really nerdy shit. Yeah, like Star Wars. I'm I'm a deep Star Wars. Lore uh, what head. do you
1: What did you think of the third season of The Mandalorian?
0: Um, I uh I've actually I've not watched yet. On purpose. Okay. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm holding off. I've wanted to wait till Ahsoka started. Oh, okay. There's a couple things, and we're just in that period. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. Ahsoka just started. I haven't watched Ahsoka
0: yet. Yeah, I've. I've. I've watched all of the Mandalorian. I watched Andor. I loved Andor. I thought it was phenomenal. Everybody that uh, I'm close to in my friend groups all told me Andor is incredible. You it's haven't really, watched really, it yet. Good. Nope. So, it, I've not found the time, honestly, in the last six months, man. I've been working nonstop. So.
1: Andor is more of like a slow burn political thriller. That's awesome, though. Yeah, so it, it's it's Star Wars, but not, like, it's set in the Star Wars universe, Right, basically. right,
0: but it's, it's, it's not a typical Star Wars story. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it, it's definitely more of like uh, an adult kind of show. Like, I don't know how kids could watch it and really enjoy right. it. Right. Um, but it, it was phenomenal. I thought Andor was great. I've watched. What is the other? Oh, Obi-Wan. Yeah, Obi Wan. that was fucking great. Definitely,
0: I watched that. I had to watch that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you and McGregor is incredible as Obi Wan. They brought back fucking Hayden Christensen. Yeah, that whole Anakin it Skywalker. was. It
0: was very. Uh... It was emotional. Yeah. The lines in that I was like, good. All right. We got we got more count, we got more timeless lines. Yeah. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. Yeah. Dude, it was great. That that was Girl, such I a, cried. Yeah. I was
1: like What well, was, was cool good. because um, what was great about it is it was cutting in and out with James Earl Jones, like Darth Vader voice, and then Hayden Christensen. Yep. It was like heavy breathing. <sighs> It's yeah so and it good. was
0: cutting in and out it was great man it really was good. it was truly well fantastic truly well done I, I some people gave it a lot of flack but uh, i i really enjoyed it too uh, I yeah did too. I, thought I don't give excellent. a fuck
1: like i feel like as a fan it's it's if i'm a fan of something it's very rare that i'm actually super critical of it yeah um i just uh watch it to enjoy it you know
0: for sure absolutely as as you should yeah. um some people uh have a lot of time on their hands, and I think I feel like they find that's one of the, the rabbit holes they go down a lot. Is like, just bitching about yep, fan shit. bitching, yeah. It's well, essentially, if it's not that, and I I'd say a lot of people could probably accuse me of that, um, because sometimes, and I, I I think think about it, I'm like, bro, I get way too caught in my head thinking about the ins and outs of this industry and like everything we're involved in, because like I'm in a venue, you know, two to three nights a week, and have yeah. been for like the past six years seven years since 2014 so nine years Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of aspects to that and i don't think about it like in terms like i think most people uh doing a bigger market here Mm -hmm. it's in a much smaller market in our town and i'm just like there's nothing else for me to think about in terms of this, so I find myself, I'll, I'll get angry at things that really don't matter. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I feel like this is kind of a sign of the times, though, because I see that I'm not alone. Because if you go to the internet, the internet's a lot of people bitching. Yeah, of, no. If you look
1: for it. The internet is a lot of pe- people bitching about whatever, whatever random, whatever thing that you could possibly bitch about is bitched about on the internet. Exactly. But you know what? I think... It's also kind of the human condition too. True. You know what I mean? It it's yeah. a, like a, I really have to catch myself when I start doing it and be like, Yeah, you know, this is not really part of my spirit, you know, it's not what I am right at my best if I'm just looking around and complaining and catching getting... myself in the
0: loop. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, I feel like we really can. Yeah, I get up in my own head for sure. Um, I think uh luckily it's all, it still comes back to like a matter of perspective because like you can find, that's the good, I I like to go down rabbit holes. That's when, when I'm really upset about something like socially or something with my own music or anything along the lines of being involved with any of it. Um, I like to go down like a wiki rabbit hole and read about something crazy and research and wound up, you know, two hours later, I'm like, bro, I killed a bunch of time on Reddit tonight. I didn't have to kill, but I enjoyed reading about this subject.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, it's it's a it's addicting, dude. I think that's the thing about phones and iPhones and all this new frontier with digital shit. It's they create it so it is addicting to uh, to look at. You know, I think even the uh, the color uh, on your phone. I I I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard if you make your phone black and white and no color then you won't use it as much there's like that makes some me want to try that
0: yeah that seems like a, a worthy that seems like a worthy uh, experiment
1: yeah i i don't know danny but is the t is the tv's not on on here if you it, it, yeah if you're looking shit up yeah yeah you're good i just wanted to let you know thank you um let's see can't see anything still but I got it's off, coming on. Now. I got off
0: track back from our original story. Yeah, Possum um, Stock. Um well, uh Possum Stock 2 is kind of a result of that same community back from Clarksville, the Coup community. Yeah. That group of people came together at the end of uh like 20, 2008, made a venue, and then the next thing is like we start to have like tradition. We have and we have touring bands coming through 3 4 times a month. We have annual events that certain promoters and socialites around town want to put on. We, the community starts to build around this venue. And what slowly happens is the entire new generation of kids that aren't able to go to the bars and drink and see live music start to go to basements and house shows. Yeah. Because this group of people's putting it on. And the coup, the one that, we, that opened, the main stage was in the basement. And it was a big basement stage with a half pipe.
1: Oh, badass. So, like,
0: metal shows, punk shows, it became, you know, 2010, it was, like, a staple on DIY tours for tons of bands, noise acts, and the amazing thing was we have Austin P in Clarksville, so there was a new influx of creative minds and kids coming to town all the time, and two blocks from the university, we have this whole DIY space that's also, like, a vegan cafe with, like, one of the first places with, like, craft beer, you know, all the mm-hmm. cheesy things they were on the forefront of. And what it does, what it did was, like, cultivate a really strong DIY community. But what wound up happening, and this is, like, and a lot of people would bring up to me Clarksville because the warehouse was in Clarksville for a long time.
1: Is that another venue? And yeah, that
0: was the other venue, but, again, the bar venue where the kids couldn't come in, it was a bar. Yeah. Um. But what wound up happening is you have those two sects of the scene, the music community at large, the live music community splits. You have a lot of the warehouse crowd winds up becoming, like, the metal and, like, uh, the commercial rock, exactly, right there. Um, That's kind of the – everybody's played there. I opened for Sebastian Bach there. Oh, really? Yeah, funny. 2015 or something like that. And then the coup right there is no longer with us. Rip the coup. Um, But it was – that was the DIY place. That's where all the college scene started. Um, We – and we did, like, 2012, remember the Mayan end of the world? Yeah. There was a big end of the world show with like two stages and all like the bands oh, in shit. town. Like it was, there's a Possum Stock article right there. And what basically happened was when the coup closed in 2014 was the first year I started Possum Stock. Okay. And it was essentially started as like our last hoorah and our like, yo, our scene's not dead. The venue may have died that a lot of us call home, but the scene's not dead.
1: So was the the
0: queue Was that? I, I don't know if I'm understanding. Was that an actual like venue? Venue? Yes, it was a venue. Okay. The kids from the MySpace era, the kids from 2005, that house show era, yeah. got together in 2008. We're all like 20, and we're like, "Hey, let's put our money together and let's get our shit oh, together." Oh shit, that's and badass, a dude. Venue. And yeah. they started the venue. That was the coup. That was coup three. There was three coups. <laughs> that was coup three. And you said the last one was in 2012? The last one was to 2014. 2014. Q, oh, okay. Coup 1 was from 2008 to 2012. Coup 2 was... Yeah, see a lot of these old articles. Um, Coup 2 was from 2012 to 2013. And Coup 3, the last one we just seen on the screen, was from 13 to 14. And then in four, the summer of 14, they closed their doors. Oh, shit. Okay. And then they came... the crew that, The main crew that did it Became, became a production company called the Southern Demon Herd and started doing EDM and stuff down in Nashville. They all moved to Nashville and started doing stuff there. And that also leads to how I became in the role in the Clarksville music scene that I kind of did. Yeah. Cause back in the coup days, I was just a young guy in a band. Granted, I loved going to shows and like this scene kind of became my life pretty quickly because yeah. like, I don't, it was every, I threw myself into my music community. That's yeah. what I really did. But Essentially, like when the main dude, the main promoter of our community, Zach Learman, was leaving, I was freaking out. I was like, "Man, the who's closing. Who's gonna do all our local stuff? Who's gonna throw shows? Who's gonna put on? We do an annual bike ride called Tour de Ville, who we've been doing for ten years. Oh, I'm like, shit. Who's gonna do Tour de Ville? Who's gonna do this?" And he's just he looked at me and he was like, "You are. What do you mean?" And that's really like kind of how I started doing everything, because when the venue died, 2014, I said, "Well, I want to throw a music festival." And I've been doing it ever since.
1: So what, uh... Did, did uh, those darlings ever play up in Clarksville?
0: That name sounds super familiar, probably so.
1: They were a Murfreesboro band.
0: Like I said, probably so. Yeah. If you gave me a time frame, I would know where it might have Probably been to...
1: 2012 to
0: 2014. It would have, yeah. Well, the Coup was the, the strongest local venue we had at the Yeah, they, time, so that, they, they, they were
1: there. a great fucking band, but they... they so the reason why I moved to Nashville, I grew up in Maine, but the reason why I moved to Nashville it was a couple different reasons. One, the Black Keys are here. Two, Jack White was here, and then honestly, to um, the first band that I heard about that was here was this band called Those Darlings. Danny, can you try and pull them up? Uh, who again? Those Darlings, but they they all went to MTSU, and they were a Murfreesboro
0: bands. Oh, you're talking about uh. uh um, Jesse's band. Yeah. Yeah, dude, yeah. I got to see Jesse's band like two or three times. I met her before she passed.
1: Yeah. R. Um, R. I. P. Super because sad. uh
0: I started like Clarksville was always a big DIY scene. We just lost the venue that year. Yeah. And when we lost the venue, we started throwing house shows yeah. again because what were we gonna do? Mhm. And we started throw and we started that's when I started networking with bands way more. And I went kind of in a span of seven months from being like just a kid that was playing shows to learning about being like a promoter and keeping like the scene alive. Yeah, and then like I started working for a business that eventually started putting on shows, and then everything kind of grew from that. And I I totally remember those darling. That's why I was like, you said that name, and I was like, man, I that name. I thought it was the girl band, and it totally it was Jesse's
1: band. Yeah, yeah, man, they they were a great fucking band. Um, I just remember seeing the music videos, and they were. In Nashville, and they seemed really fucking cool to me, um, and it seemed original and just awesome. Yeah, yeah, and so I knew about them, but I didn't realize because they were really like the proto East Nashville scene. Because I think they moved from Murfreesboro to Nashville, to Nashville at, and at kind one of started point,
0: developing that East Nashville sound. Yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like uh, a big part of that sound too, because this this rolls back to me like getting into the scene. Is that 2008-2014 period with the coup? They told me, you know, 2010 we did our first Tour de Ville, but it's because Burro Fondo was going on. And uh, I don't know if you know Meth Dad Tyler. He was a guy that was uh, from everybody. He was fr- he went to MTSU, but he's like knew all the Clarksville scene really hard, and then he came here and started doing tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. He made Tour de Fun here, which was the big Nashville bike ride. And all these scenes kind of started interweaving together within these couple years. Like uh, back in the day, there was uh, the Hollywood Kills. They were a big band. Um, that's when the Dead Dads first started. The band with like the X's over there. Yeah, their I remember the Dead Dads. Um, Are they still around? They're still around. Yeah, they're still doing stuff. Do some they live in lineup. Nashville? I think so. I'm not really sure. I know they've played on some bigger stuff. They've played yeah. on some like uh, Kiss Carnival Cruise kind of crap. They've played yeah. on some really big gigs. They've done a lot of stuff. I imagine they're still Nashville based. Um, but that first year coming out of college, I was like, people were like, yo, it's 2009. People were like, bro, you got to go down to Murfreesboro. You got to go to MTSU and check out the house show scene.
1: Yeah. Danny's man, familiar with the house. That show was, that was like
0: the fruit bats era and like turbo fruits and like uh Yeti and just a whole conglomerate, a different Jeff, the brotherhood was huge at that point. Um, that was like the Nashville scene that I was really like familiar with coming in young. Yeah. Where all these bands kind of fresh off. Honestly, it was like fresh off of, uh, Kings of Leon blowing up. Yeah. And they, cause they knew at only by friends, night and they yeah. threw tons of money. Like they started that label and had a bunch of those Nashville bands on it and like snakes and serpents, whatever it was called. Anyway, I remember around that area, it's early college for me. And that's when I started playing shows regularly too. Cause mm-hmm. I was like getting out and meeting people and playing out and, uh, Three brothers in Murfreesboro was a big thing. It was every Thursday they had a free show in the square, and it was like how they screened bands for the DIY scene and the house show scene. Oh, interesting! Yeah, we played. Uh, my my first band played there in like 2012, and it was a whole uh, it was a whole thing for for years. Um, I met so many people coming in early. Man, Carter Carter Hayes started the East Nashville group, and he was the guy that uh, <laughs> Free Carter. It was a meme for a couple years, probably right when you came down. Oh, shit. Like 2015. Okay. Um I'm trying to think more of uh, who who is kind of big conglomerate building blocks back then. Um right after the same right after all the Kings of Leon stuff, Caves the Elephant blew up and they were for Bowling Green. So that was another conglomerate that was like BG is forty five minutes from Clarksville. Like all these this whole like area and like you said, randomly towards the end of the twenty tens, Jack White, Dan Auerbach, all these you know, heads because it was cheap as fuck here. to live down here back then. Right, right. Yeah. Everybody was like, no, bro, this is where we're going. Post-flood. Um, man, to be real with you, uh, post-flood, exactly. Yeah. Six months before the flood, I seen the show that changed my life. And it's funny that you said that you brought up the Black Keys because it was Dan Auerbach. R- where were they playing? Man, they weren't playing. I seen the Keys for the first time, like... In the twenty ten, like 20, 2007 maybe oh, two thousand eight, two thousand eight, two thousand eight, at the Ryman. Damn. Okay, was that so? It was uh, attack during... and release. Yeah, I was attack, just gonna and, say release attack store. and release yeah. So, but the following the following year, um, my graduation year, Dan release keep it hid. Uh, his the first solo, solo album. record. Yeah. And it released on my 18th birthday. Yeah. And I was like, yo, this record speaks to me. I loved it. I fell in love with it right at the end of high school. I had started my first band, which was a two piece, of course, yeah. because I was a Jack White and Dan Auerbach fan, and I was like, I got to have this, obviously. Yeah. Um and I fell in love with that record and I got tickets for the cannery. And it was Dan Auerbach, it was the end of Dan Auerbach's Keep It Head Tour. And he had Jessica Lee Mayfield from Ohio, a singer-songwriter chick, yeah. and Justin Towns are all open. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. And man, when I tell you, like, I had just really started going to shows. That was that was I was just turned like eighteen that year. So you were
1: finally able to get into shows. I was really
0: able to finally go to stuff, like finally. And I was out. I was out of my uh, college. I was like, yo, I have my, I have a, a nineteen ninety one Mitsubishi Montero, and I'm ready to go see. Blah, 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 because I freaking can. Yeah. And I did. And I remember I was like, I really want to be at the show. I want to buy this merch. I'm trying to get on the rail. And I didn't realize. It's like the cannery. It's like 300 people. Of course, if I really wanted it, I was going to get it. Yeah. Well, I showed up early. Wound up meeting people in line. Was first in line. Got in. Brought my drunk-ass dad with me to this show. Um, And my girlfriend and my buddy. Like a bunch of people. Um, And watched that show. That was like the first real, like... Bigger non-local show that I had been to that wasn't a big show like at the Ryman or um, yeah, Bridgestone or something yeah, you yeah. know, but it was like a real local. I was like, oh shit, because I played shows that summer and like sporadically around like back when the Muse was still open. I don't know, that was closed probably that, before your that days. was that was before Kung my fu, time. Coffee, bro, all that stuff. I remember I, that. Uh, I,
1: I had on um, Andrew Moeller. He plays guitar in um, AJ and the Gigawatts, and he also. He has a band. It's escaping me right now, but he does Funk Night in Nashville as well. Okay, okay. Um, but he, I think, when he came on the podcast, he talked about it. That's where the Dominoes is now, right by the highway. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, and that, I remember bro, that him was like about the that.
0: metal venue. That was like that was the place, bro. Yeah. I seen, I seen a bunch of shows there. Yeah. <laughs> I played there, but yeah. um, the the Cannery show with Dan Auerbach, man, it fucking changed my life. Cause I got on the barrier. Yeah. Jessica Lee Mayfield opened and was, like, phenomenal. And I was like, this is, you know, killer. And I'm, I'm right here. It was, you know, from me to the TV to this show. Yeah. Justin Towns Earl gets on stage and, like, leaves my fucking brain on the floor. Because it's him and a fiddle player. Oh, shit. And he plays for fucking 45 minutes. And, like, plays his ass off. And I'm just like, this is phenomenal. And this is no production at all. This is... Two D.I.'s. This is a guy on acoustic and a guy with a fiddle yeah. with one microphone. That's it. And mm-hmm. it was just like. And then Dan got up. And at that time, he had Hacienda, the Texas band, backing him on that yeah, tour. Yeah, he
1: produced them as well. Exactly.
0: And he had Patrick Hallahan from My Morning Jacket playing oh, drums shit. on that tour. Okay, So cause that was a little lull period between Evil Urges and Secutal for Jacket which we'll get into my relationship with My Morning Jacket later. <laughs> okay. Um, but I uh, they proceeded to play their entire, like, rundown of, because it was the last night of the tour. So they played every cover they had played that tour, played the entire record. They played for, like, two and a half hours. That's dope as fuck, And it dude. was fucking awesome. And I just was right on the barrier for the whole thing. I got the fucking screen print poster. I got all the merch. I was, you know blasted like 18 years old I was just like this is it this is the only thing in the world I give a fuck about yeah this
1: I've seen Dan several times like I've seen him with the first time was in 2012 or 13 it was for the uh for the El Camino Camino. tour with the Black Keys Arctic Monkeys opened. Oh
0: dude, that's that's a banger. Yeah,
1: it was it was badass. And then that that Was that a Bridgestone? No. So this was when I was still in Maine. Okay,
0: so you were so, still up there. Yeah,
1: okay. so this was uh it was uh, the the Cumberland County Civic Center. Okay. Which is where all the big shows were, but that no one ever went. fucking came to Maine like very rarely back right. then. Very rarely would people actually come up. But um yeah, so I that was a great show. But then I've seen Dan with the arcs at the Ryman. Fire. Yeah, it was badass, incredible. Then I've seen him solo back when Grimeys was still over Over on 8th upstairs. Above the the basement. And he played in the back parking lot right outside of the basement. Um, And then I saw him later that year at the Ryman for a solo show. And he was playing with all like... Nashville and Memphis session guys from the sixties and seventies was badass. Dude. And then me and Danny <laughs> so actually, oh shit, okay. Um, me and Danny actually saw, um, the Black Keys a couple of weeks ago.
0: Okay, for the was the Brooklyn Bowl one. Brooklyn Bowl. Yeah. Uh, keep talking. Was, I'm gonna take was care that of it. Show. I imagine. Uh, I've seen. I've seen Dan. I don't know. I've seen a. Uh, I seen the Keys first, then I seen Dan solo tour, and then I seen the Keys on the Brothers tour back at the Ryman, and then I watched um I think the next time after that might have been, maybe a Bonnaroo. Oh, they played nice Bonnaroo that year. That's I cool. think it. I think may have been yeah maybe eleven or twelve. One of those. years, I've been to Bonnaroo a bunch of times too. Yeah. But but uh, um. That was the, I think that was the last key show I seen. It was the last key show I went to. It was Bonnaroo. Yeah. Um, I listened to Ark's record and I liked it. I just never wound up going and seeing him. Dude, it was it was fantastic. So
1: I'm a, a big nerd with a, uh, about a lot of the guys that he was playing with. Like the bass player is Nick moff shown. He played bass for Amy Winehouse. Cool. On the Back to Black record. All right. And he's, pl- he's like in-demand session guy. He's played with Bruno Mars. One of them boys. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Homer Steinweis, he was also the drummer for Amy Winehouse as well for the Back to Black record. I don't know if they played on the whole thing. I know they at least played on the parts that Mark Ronson produced because they have okay. like a close so they did it with him. Okay. Yeah, relationship with Mark Ronson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a phenomenal fucking bass player. So I wanted to see him in person. How was I, the show? It was incredible,
0: dude. Did dude. they do like a lot of catalog stuff, or did they do like some uh, some kind of like deep cut like Southerns? Did you do any like Junior Kimbrough stuff?
1: Uh, at the Broken Bowl show, yeah.
0: yes, tough, yeah, tough. yeah. So they they
1: they closed. Me and Danny had already walked out, but they Tullahoma. yeah they <laughs> a, they did meet me in the city. Um, they had closed with that.
0: Oh, bro, really? They closed with it? Yeah. So oh. the the
1: drummer and the the bass player. That's just
0: Kiss, bro. That's really It was weird. great, dude. I imagine that was fucking excellent. They
1: mainly played stuff from Delta Cream. Um, and that's a very... A new record, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was uh 2021 that that record came out. But it's... Really? Yeah. So this came out during COVID. But it, it's very much like a vamp record for the most part. It's just right. them jamming. Because the bass player and the slide Make guitar player and the... I don't know about the percussionist if he played with them or not, but the guys that they pl- had played with them on this record, they were um, like they were in that whole Mississippi scene with like Junior Kimbrough and all those guys. Yeah, that
0: that uh, whole Delta crew. Like a lot of them, you can spot uh, uh, Burnside and some of those other guys in a Black Snake mode and playing with like Samuel L. Jackson. That same crew. Dude. Oh shit, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, and Black Gain Keys had a
1: song in that too, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I think uh, when the when the lights go out was how the movie opens yeah it well, is it opens with the when the lights go out with a sex scene between britney murphy and justin timberlake
1: oh shit the hell of a
0: way to open a movie
1: yeah no shit dude um yeah dude it was a great show though it i was, imagine so man. it was cool man the, he, uh, uh
0: he's a fucking wizard dude i've yeah. always dug Dan. yeah
1: he's a gr- he's a great producer he's a great guitar player um, I really enjoyed the the show a lot. I thought it was fantastic, dude. Yeah. I I as soon as they announced that this show
0: was happening, I bought tickets right away. When I seen them, uh, the first time I seen them, they kind of like, fucking, blew my mind in terms of like, because I had seen so much so much of the videos and stuff that I'd watched online. At this time, we're talking YouTube via like 2008, so a little different realm than it is now. Yeah. Um, a lot of what I had seen online was a really from like uh. Rubber Factory And like Thick Freakness This whole era So they were still like Two of them Like it was kind of DIY In a lot of ways It was yeah. really garagey And really raw Well that's police-y. what their
1: Their early shit was They were fucking recording In exactly. a basement
0: bro, The big come up bro Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a great record Yeah like, Fucking phenomenal But I knew When I watched them <laughs> At the Ryman in 08 I was, like, I seen the magic from the, the transition from, like, Rubber Factory to Magic Potion. I feel it was, like, when that band's production level stepped up a lot. They
1: got Dan- Danger Mouse. Yeah. and He, the, did, exactly, Dan- I mean, he did Magic Potion, right? And you,
0: exactly, yep. yeah. and you can tell because, like, the stage show changed. Because I went into that Ryman show thinking, like, we're going to see, like, a banner and this really raw, like, fucking stack of amps with Dan and, like, Patrick over here, like, beating shit up. No, dude, they like rolled out together with the giant, with that giant tire right there. Oh shit! Behind them <laughs> and fucking lasers, like <laughs> shit everywhere. It was awesome. That's and, badass. Yeah, Dan back looked just. That's it. That's the shit. Oh yeah. yeah. Two thousand eight. That show was nuts, man. That's uh, that was like my first big like concert concert on my own, like going out with people. I was like, bro, going to this Black Key show. And I didn't expect that. I was like, "Bro, he's playing a rickenbacker." Yeah. What the oh, hell? Shit. He was playing a three hundred and sixty. It was nice. nuts. Um, but that 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 whole that whole movement, like the garage rock revival, as people called it, that's kind of what sucked me into playing, man. Like when I was like twelve and thirteen, the mysticism of like, you know, Led Zeppelin, the Almond Brothers band, and Black Sabbath kind of sucked me in. Yeah. Because I was raised by my grandma, I wasn't like around. My parents, my dad was a grunge guy, but he was off Megan Meth, and he was, like, I wasn't around him at that point. Yeah. So I was really, like, my grandma was, like, really the big influence of what was being played around me. And by the time I was 12 and 13, I just wanted to listen, you know, like, I want to go listen to the Allman Brothers band. I'm trying to go listen to, you know, I'm trying to go listen to Houses of the Holy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to go, and that's, and the natural progression in modern music from the connection to all that was all the garage rock revival. All these dudes playing, like, (laughs) blues, psychedelic rock that was, like, and then, because of Dan, I found the band that, like, set my heart on fire with My Morning Jacket. Oh, okay. I uh, I started college, and I seen Patrick Hallahan play with Dan Auerbach at the Cannery. And he was playing Auxiliary. He wasn't even playing Kit. But he sat down during the set and played Kit on a song. And played the dog shit out of it. And I was like, bro, that guy is a monster drummer. And I Hell said, what's yeah. his band? And, you know, Dan Auerbach's is like, who's my friend Pat from My Morning Jacket? And I started looking, in, and it was like all the articles I found. This like 2009, are all talking about how they're this weird country rock band from Kentucky. And I they're say, from Louisville, yeah, right? They're from Louisville. And I said, okay, let me check it out. I pull it up. the The one big holiday uh, music video is them all like jamming in a barn. And I was like, all right, this is tight. This is like twin lead guitar, like fucking, you know, Leonard Skinnerty, like meets Neil Young. Like we, I, 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 I was about it. It was cool. And I listened to the records, and I was like, "All right, this weird psych country—they're trying to kind of in the Grateful Dead vein, whatever." They were part of the same sphere of all the musicians, all part of friends. When you're all touring together in each yeah. other's bands, you're in that kind of circle. But then, dude, like I started playing regularly. I seen, I seen uh, in that couple first couple of years, I seen John Mayer, Kings of Leon, all the kind of the biggest acts of those time. My girlfriend loved going to concerts at that time, so like I was going to big shows too all the time. Yeah, right? like when Bridgestone in college, and the Ryman the and shit. Yeah, all the time, and. I started my own band, finally, getting out of the two-piece era and going into, like, i got to have a bass player, bro. i got to have a lead guitar player because I'm writing all these fucking songs. So I ran into my, my half-brother's other brother, so my old stepbrother. Our parents had been separated for 10 years, but he was a monster guitar player, like insane. He could play any instrument really well, but he was a monster guitar player. And he's like, bro, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for a lead guitar player. And he said, well, I'm fucking looking for a new band. And we started the band that we played in till, till COVID. Damn. Okay, Wh- what band was that? Whiskey Angel. That okay. was the Clarksville band that people knew. Even now, people people ask me all the time, I'm like, what's Whiskey Angel doing? Because it was me and my brother's band. Yeah. And that's the band we kind of went along the veins of Dan's full band stuff, doing with the solo shit. It all started with that. Yeah. And then all that, you know, Kings of Leon really well, the early Kings of Leon stuff a lot. But then, slowly... Because of Dan and because of being introduced to all these, like, peer bands, I went and seen My Morning Jacket. And I I, I got into My Morning Jacket. I like their music. And I was like, all right, this band rips. They're good. They're as good as me listening to Dan or Jack. Because or... I love the Rack and cheers The Rack and Oh, like, yeah. My, that's Hell my peak yeah. Jack White. Was yeah. like, by far. <laughs> but Fuck, it, yeah. But so fucking good. But I had not... There hadn't been a band that I, at that point in my life, like I'd seen the Dan show, and I told people for years that was my favorite show. That was the best show I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. I was like, that was the show. And ironically enough, I seen him, I was fucking on the barrier for Super Jam with him and Dr. John.
1: Oh, Bonnaroo, shit. Bro. That's I was right badass. on the barrier.
0: I stood all day in line because Ryan Bingham and the Dead Horses were playing two acts before him and then Bruce Hornsby was playing right before him. So oh, I was like, shit. bro, I'll sit right, I will camp here all day. And I did and it was totally worth it because I got to see Dr. John and Dan Auerbach ripping up for Super Jam at Bonnaroo. So, uh,
1: Nick Moff Shone might have been the bass player for that.
0: Probably fucking so. Because he the, played, he played on that record. The band all-stars. Yeah. The band was like, like all, the, you know, everybody on set had, and they brought out every kind of fucking guest in the world. But the backing band were all some of the best dudes. Did, and that they had all played on that record that he did with them at that time, so it, yeah, that had to be him. Yeah, had to be that, boy. He, yeah, yeah. He,
1: he he's a great bassist, man. He's he's truly fucking phenomenal. But
0: that same era, that same time, um, I went and seen My Morning Jacket for the first time, and it changed my. Where do they play life, at, dude? It changed my life. Like, <laughs> it changed my life. Were you
1: Stone Cold sober?
0: Sober. I was not remotely doing drugs at that point in my life. I was. Damn. uh I was. I'd never experimented with any psychedelics or anything in that ballpark because uh, both my parents were really hardcore drug addicts. My father overdosed in 2013 shooting up O'Panis. So the first Whiskey Angel record is all about my father. (laughs) But I went to to see my morning jacket at Memphis in May. They were playing on a Saturday in Memphis in May. The day passes were, uh, I don't know, like 35 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. And right before them was Florence and the Machine – Right before them was Need to Breathe. Before Need to Breathe was the North Mississippi All-Stars. That's who I really wanted to go see. Same same from the same group of blues dudes. Luther and all those dudes that played with R.L. Burnside. Same, same circles. All the same circles. Same musicians. So I was like, I really want to go see this killer blues band that's playing in the afternoon. And my morning jacket's playing at like 10 at night. But I was like, whatever. So we went. We went down to Memphis in May. Because of what we wanted to do at that point, I watched. I got there in time. Got a good little distance from the stage. Watched North Mississippi All-Stars. Slowly started getting closer. Closer every set. Till we were right up on. And I was right on the barrier for Jacket. For Carl Brommel. And, like, it just changed my life. It completely fucking floored me. I, I was, I was like this What man. record was that? Securital Tour. It was okay. 2012. Okay. They released Securital in 2011. And this was, uh like I said, Memphis in May 2012. And that, it just, it it floored me dude to this day. Like I think back in that show and I remember cause it was, and I was there with my brother that I had just started whiskey angel with. So we were, this is also the era of the coup. This is us being young in college. We started our local band that people finally care about. And we go see this band that does this almost ritualistic, that's the only thing I... Like I said, I had seen a bunch of my heroes at that point. I'd seen Dan, I'd seen Jack, I'd seen The Kings, I'd seen all these bands. And then i seen this band, and I was just like, holy fucking shit. Oh my god. And now, here we are, 11 years later, and there's, I still say they are the best band in the world. I've seen them 12 times. Damn. They are the best uh, band in the world. I got backstage this year at Bonnaroo for them.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, i, I probably the... I've seen Dan... Through various projects, one, two, three, I think four or five times. I've seen Arctic Monkeys. So I saw them on Open for the Black Keys. Then I saw them headline a show at this venue called the State Theater in Maine. Then I saw them play at ascend here a couple of years ago so i've seen them three times are they another one of your big ones arctic monkeys say? oh hell yeah, yeah dude they're so good dude. yeah dude so I, good. I love arctic monkeys forever and always and i i uh really have a soft spot for them for a couple of different reasons one there was this girl that i uh was like had a huge crush on in high school and she liked them she was like obsessed with alex turner so i kind of hated them Okay. Uh, on on principle of her being like, Alex Turner so Turner's
0: hot. Alex Turner's the
1: man. Yeah, and I was just like, fuck Alex Turner. and uh, But eventually, I started loving them. I lost my virginity to the fucking Suck It and See record. Oh,
0: man, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that was maybe 2011. Oh, man, you know. he, yeah, he is, he is a pretty man.
0: And he's um, a great front man. Dude. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great, man. man. Um, Good songwriter. Yeah, but. All the way around.
1: And then their their fucking third record, Humbug, is the record that really got me big into them. Okay. And that's the one for that Josh from Queens of the Stone Age produced. Produced,
0: okay. Tough He didn't
1: produce the whole thing, but he produced most of it. And then Queens of the Stone Age, I discovered I knew them from like no one knows, of course, and yeah, like yeah, Dave right. Grohl played on it and I was yeah, like, Oh, yeah. okay, cool. But um it got me deep into Queens of the Stone Age and I discovered the Era Vulgaris record because of that. And then ever since then, I've always like whenever there's a new Queens record coming out, I've been hyped for it. And Danny and I, we saw a fucking Queens a couple weekends How ago. Was that ge- How was that show? Fucking incredible! I heard it. Was- oh, dude. I, uh,
0: I would have been there, um, but uh, we had a benefit for a, a really active musician in Nashville. We had it for him in Clarksville because he's from Clarksville. Uh huh. But his name's Jacob Marcus. You might know Jacob. He's a saxophone player. He uh, but he's got a a really rare condition, and he's in a rehab center here in Nashville. And he, oh man, he's paralyzed. Oh shit! And we had a big benefit at home for him, but everyone that wasn't at the benefit was at the Queen show. Yeah, dude. Because that show was like, I that was it was badass. I've it, spent it, this summer binging that record too. It's so fucking
1: dude. Good, dude okay, dude, and so Time's good. New Roman is a phenomenal fucking it's record. So good. I'm still I'm it's like stupid good. I'm riding the high of seeing them still. So yeah. I've just every time I get into my car, that's what I'm listening that's
0: to. My bass player was at that show. Yeah. He said it was, he was, he was, he's riding rail. It was yeah. awesome. I yeah. The fire. It's it so was,
1: good. it was great, man.
0: Uh, but They're yeah. A fucking phenomenal band.
1: So I got, I got super into them because of Arctic Monkeys. But yeah, Arctic Monkeys is one of my big ones. I would say the Black Keys and then did all of Dan's wanna, derivatives. Did you want to watch,
0: did you want to watch the Arctic Monkeys stuff? live as a band before or at because i knew you were already seen the music was hitting you before you seen them with the keys but did you want to keep going and seeing them again because the show was oh so yeah good? yeah no uh i i
1: had liked them but that show had made me love them because they were so fucking bombastic as a live band Amazing. the rhythm section is that's powerful. what everybody's told me like yeah.
0: dynamically they're just insane yeah I was like bro they they if you listen to their shit it sounds like it yeah like they sound like they have a lot to Kind of nail on Yeah,
1: yeah. So Nick O'Malley, he's a great bass player. Matt Helders is a phenomenal drummer. Um, I really liked their their most recent record, uh, The Car. Yeah. A lot of people talk shit on it. But it, it's, it goes back again. Like, if, if I like you artistically, there's there's very there's rarely... There's things I can find a like in it. Yeah. Always. For yeah. sure. Yeah, and I think... And a lot of people shit on to, uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino because it was such a big left turn from, like, the polished pop production of A.M. Yeah. But that's why I was into it. I was like, yo, these guys True. were literally the biggest band in the world. And they said, fuck, fuck that. It. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to make a really weird, artistic, David Bowie-style record.
0: Right in the vein, baby. Right in the vein. Yeah. But... I, uh, I really like Alex because uh, the first two records, um, his amp is a really off-the-wall orange amp. And it was the same orange amp I did my records with. Really? Yeah. It's Uh, it's still an amp you can get now, but it's in a different setup. Uh, it's got an Orange 8030. You can only get them now in twin channel; they're two channel amps. What are they? Two they're, tens? Uh, no, they're uh, you can only get them in heads now. Okay. But this, back in the day, there was a single channel one they made with reverb. Okay. And it's essentially like a hot rotted ass AC30. It's like an it's it's literally orange copying an AC. 30 So it's a circuit. super
1: bright sounding amp.
0: Well, with like all the dark tonality of orange. Okay. So if you listen to the if you listen to all his rhythm guitar on those first two records, it's yeah. that sound. Okay. Like his tone is that amp, and it sounds. And here's to another person that uses this. When the Zeppelin reunion happened in the early '90s, when the Plant Page thing happened in the early '90s, yeah, the single channel AD30 was the that was Jimmy Page's amp for that. Tour. Oh
1: shit! Okay. So cool.
0: Alex used it, and I love that as a rhythm guitar amp because all the chime. Of all that Arctic Monkey stuff, yeah, is all Alex's eighty thirty. So I looked around. It's an eighty thirty R. They only made them to like ninety six. So I looked around right in the early as we were starting the band, two thousand ten, and I found one in fucking Milwaukee, and paid like fourteen hundred bucks to have it shipped down. in... how many down.
1: watts was it? Thirty
0: watts. It's a thirty watt two twelve. It's heavy as fuck.
1: Yeah, I but bet, bro.
0: It it sounds. I bitch about it all the time because mine's mine. The transformer on mine like fucked up and melted down yeah so it would like it shot and i was like dude i would do fucking like the things so I would was that buy another one uh a arms.
1: combo amp combo amp 212 okay.
0: and and it was all because of the solid state or nope, tube. tube tube okay completely tube all dark uh i think fourth el34s if i remember correctly i'm not as much of a gearhead as i used to be when i was younger sure i got away from a lot of that as i grew as an artist i was like bro it's not working. Just get out of the way.
1: Yeah. You go well, on that
0: rabbit hole and get lost, man. I, I
1: think for me, it's just like with gear, um, I know a lot about gear now. Um, I think even like producing shit, I've never really given a fuck. I've just wanted it to sound good. Yeah. And let absolutely. the players shine. Like let the players just kind of do whatever they do. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I always am just like, I just need a P-Bass with flat lounge. Yeah. Or, or really just something fender with flat wounds. Okay. Um, that's good enough to get you in your ballpark. Huh? Yeah, that that because that's my that's my fucking sound. You know, I think it's also funny too, because not a lot of players play flat wounds. Um, especially live because a yeah. lot of players bitch about it, but I think not just like with those
0: people that wind up there are just like I don't want to play this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear people um, bitch
1: about it. Yeah, for sure, but it, for me it works because I've only played Flatwounds as a musician, like, as a gigging musician. I've never played. Like, there have been times where I've gotten on stage where someone's like, here, do you want to jump on for a song? Right, yeah, you just play, like, somebody's bass. Yeah. got you. But even then, most of the time, I'll just say no, because I'm like, no, it's not Flats. I don't give a fuck. Like I do not give a fuck, but um, that's wild. Yeah, man, I'm very, very, very fucking picky when it comes to what I play. Okay. Like wild. my my main base, so the base that I've I've always played since I've gotten to Nashville, it's a 62 made in Japan, reissue Defender, Fender, of okay. course. Yeah. Um, and I got that right away. Stripped the fucking round rounds off. It threw them in the garbage where they belong and put flats on there.
0: And I've just had them on it since. Yeah. Uh,
1: I've, I've changed the strings <coughs> maybe twice since I've had that bass. But I never change my strings unless one actually breaks, and it's right. rare that a flat when one you got breaks. To, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, back in the day, basses used to come stock with flats on them. Um, so, like, it wasn't, a, I don't think, until, like, the mid to late 70s that basses came stock rounds. with rounds.
0: Interesting. I didn't know that. That's a yeah. fact I didn't know.
1: So, the know. way that I became a flats player was on accident because I bought this 65 jazz bass. It looked ugly as shit, dude. Someone had painted it and stripped the headstock. I got it for, like, 250 bucks, But it came with flat rounds on it. Um, and I started playing it, and I'm like, what kind of strings are these? And the dude at the music store was like, Those are flat wounds. This was when I was still in Maine. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. And then I had to wait till I could get money to afford new strings and then I put new strings on, round wounds, and I was like, I don't really like these anymore. And I switched back to flat ones and I exclusively played flat ones. Wow.
0: Interesting, man. That's yeah. cool. That's a cool tonality thing. And it's interesting it's to see, yeah. It's interesting when you see people's different caps on things like that. Yeah. Because, like, in the grand scheme of thing, that's not really gonna like. Is that gonna inhibit you from being able to no, play bass? no, not no, at all, not man. at all.
1: It's it's one hundred percent true. You you are one hundred percent right about that. Like, but we'll
0: get funky about it too with music.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so fucking picky. Like maybe 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 if someone asked me and they were like hey you want to jump up real quick mm-hmm. i'll look at the bass first i'll oh be like my
0: god okay let
1: me see what what kind of base it is okay um but really i i know i'm also full of shit because if you put me on any base, it's gonna sound like me within two seconds just right, because it's, it's, just it's, it's in your hands yeah, exactly really I'd it's it's like having the right width paintbrush or something like that that feels comfortable in your yep. hands yep um, I think that's why I am picky. I just, I'm not even like a big gear guy. Like, so I've owned that Peabay's go for going on eight years. Cause I got it after I moved to Nashville. I bought it off eBay, It came from Japan. And then recently, so this year I also bought an upright and I'm learning how to play that. That's more of just like a fun experimental thing. I haven't haven't done anything with it. That's a
0: cool skill to have in the wheelhouse.
1: Yeah, that that was kind of the thing. I was like, I've always been super into jazz, and like I've done jazz theory and studied that. I can read music. I'm not a great sight reader, but I can do it. Like if I'm able to sit and stumble through it, I couldn't like. (laughs) You sight read sight in read, a yeah. live setting right. that's, but yeah
0: if the people that can do that are the people i'm just still like god dude yeah but how it, the fuck do you have it's to
1: just it? a, it's it's like the math version of music right
0: right right um, that's a good way of putting it
1: yeah and then the other bass that i have that i just got recently it's a mustang bass um Tight. A justin Meldel johnson signature model it's pretty fucking dope um Come stock with flat wounds. So ah, uh, I didn't turn my nose up at it.
0: Didn't aha. Uh-huh. You were like, oh well this came the right way. Yeah, yeah, it came the right way. That's tight. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, how many who what other bass players you know play flat wounds, like regularly? Like in Nashville. Like yeah, what Nashville scene bass players?
1: <sighs> I don't honestly because really I know, know
0: Dust plays like rounds. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. All the bass players I think of off the top of my head do.
1: Yeah, they all play rounds. I'm the I'm the only fucking one, dude. And everybody like I Getty told
0: Lee, James that's I mean, John and Twesle and Getty Lee like damn, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I mean this was just what came stock back in the fucking day, you know right, what I mean? So maybe
0: that's why a lot of people wound up going that way. Yeah, direction.
1: yeah. Even on those early fucking Zeppelin records, those are those are flats. Um but you can you can get a pretty dirty sound from him that really cuts through you just have to eq the amp okay you gotta set things up right yeah okay yeah makes sense uh because here's the other thing i think creatively i like limiting myself and the tools that i'm using at any given time the
0: jack white philosophy
1: yeah i guess so yeah yeah it's um
0: man i think uh, sometimes i don't think a lot of people like give him the dues that he's like earned at this point because it's hard to say our generation of music- musicians, like, he isn't one of the pillars of it. Yeah, Because, like, he's, I, half of everybody I knew wound up starting to play guitar, like, in the mid-2000s. Yeah, well, we,
1: our generation, like, he was our rock guy. Right,
0: that's, uh, he was the guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting, because that exact philosophy, like, limit yourself. It's yeah. going to push yourself further creatively.
1: I, you know, I wish I could say I thought about it in that way, but I really didn't. Really? Like... Man, for me, I'm just like this is what I and this is kind of bad, I think, in a way too, where I'm I'm like, once I have something I like and it works for me
0: You don't overthink it.
1: I don't yeah. I'm just like this is what works for me. And once I did the P bass flat wound combo, it just that was, was it. it. Hey there was no looking back.
0: I, I've played the same guitar for thirteen years. What guitar is it? Uh a two thousand two Gibson ES three three five. What color? Cherry red. Oh hell yeah! Made in Memphis. I've played Fuck the yeah. same guitar for thirteen years. What what and size it,
1: strings do you use?
0: I use tens.
1: Tens okay. Yeah. Is there a particular brand you like using? Um,
0: Ernie's. Nice. I, just because that's the go-to. I used back in the day. Like I used uh, Elixirs for a while. Um, the coated strings. Um, when I started when I started Whiskey Angel, my jam band. Like when I started that, I had a big ass pedal board. Dude, I had fucking fifteen pedals, and like had an orange two twelve. You know, eighty thirty R, and then a Fender, you know, Twin Reverb. I had all kinds of gear, and it, I just found myself like, that's when I, I almost, I stepped back and took almost the Jack approach to things, like you were just talking about. I was like, wait, this is too much. This is, I...
1: Cody, uh, not to cut you off. Where can people
0: find you at? We're getting down to the the wire here. Okay, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, bro. El Parson.
1: Okay, uh, Danny. Uh, how how much longer do we have?
0: I actually we're we're still good. It, I was gonna set it for about twenty five minutes. Oh okay. shit!
1: Okay, sorry, my we're bad. We're good. Okay, keep going. What were yeah. you saying?
0: Um, I found myself with like all these options. I had bought. I had spent. Okay, so I uh, I did really well on my ACTs when I was younger, and I was getting through. One of I, I got full Pell ride all the way through college. Yeah. So that's the only way I was ever able to afford an ES three three five. Let's be yeah, real. Yeah. 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 Um, I uh put a bunch of money into a lot of gear and I stepped back one day and like I had a twin reverb and an orange and like I was like 22 years old or something I had easily like over 10k worth of gear and I was like I can't play all this at once I don't play all this at once I find myself playing the same guitar and the same two pedals all the time yeah like why why do I need all this so the completely different approach got like a completely different way um I started playing uh Ignator um just dimed mm-hmm. like straight basically running it like a non a master volume amp so just like diming the pre and having the power and that it that was it yeah. and i fucking cranked it and i didn't play any pedals i played straight to the amp mm-hmm. and now i'm in the middle ground years later you know i got a couple pedals what is your pedal board what do you have on um there? i just bought two new pedals i'm getting every, i'm getting everything ready for possum stock <laughs> hell yeah um i uh i just run a TU2 a uh, Keeley Caverns, which is a reverb and delay pedal. Yeah. Um, an EHX or an EQD, the depths. One of the pedals I just bought. It's a uh, it's a vibe pedal, and uh, a muff man from Big Muff.
1: <laughs> just like the classic Big Muff.
0: Uh, well, the triangle Big Muff is okay. the one I just got. Hell so, yeah. Um, I've been trying to find another full drive because the full tone stuff all got canceled after he was an idiot online, but uh, he makes. He made, companies not around anymore, but they make a pedal that's uh, a gain stage. It's basically a tube screamer and a separate drive in one pedal. And mm-hmm. it runs off 12 volts. And I try to limit myself now, or go back to limiting, um, where I only have five uh, outlets off of my power supply. So I can never run more than five pedals.
1: I've owned a couple pedals in my lifetime. I've never really been a big, big pedal guy. Um, but I had a, an EHX bass micro synth have you ever seen those yeah. before yeah those are badass they're awesome they're really they're super
0: cool super cool dude there's yeah. so many things you can do with that pedal with that line of pedals all those synth pedals from ehx it's like dumb yeah
1: they're they're fantastic they're so good yeah um and it, it, it's just a, using that kind of pedal live it's a little bit harder because you have to dial in the tone right and it depends on what kind of all that venue shit. the room like
0: everything the
1: tone will sound fucking wrong if it's
0: Especially if you have something with, like, arpeggiated and everything like that. You're going to, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's just gonna not going to hit somewhere it, 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 right.
1: Yeah. But yeah. I, I I have owned a, a couple of Big Muffs. Um, I might put together, like, a small pedal board, I think. I'm, I'm in the market for a new amp. Okay. I'm probably going to roll with one of the Fender Rumble, like, heads. Well, I... I don't know yet. I prefer, honestly, 15s. Okay. So you're a 15s um, guy? Yeah, just... yeah. I
0: think they make a 15 combo with the new Fenders. Well, I,
1: I had one. It's so light. Bro. It fried. It is. Oh, it's, it's super so light. It's amazing. They're yeah. So light. But yeah. I kind of want to go the next step up and get like an actual head. Okay. And get... get the
0: cab. Yeah. And get the cab. If you get a head, you like change the cab up. Like Yeah. Exactly. Really, yeah.
1: Exactly. And maybe i'll start venturing into pedals but really i think you know keeping with bass, things man
0: sometimes like you don't necessarily need if you want yes yeah. or something sometimes I can exactly see that. or like exactly. compression or like uh if you see like jam bands or like kind of funk we we're talking about earlier like envelope filters yeah. sometimes yeah mm-hmm. but with bass like i i don't like a lot of modulated bass it just doesn't you got to keep that bottom in you know um i uh Gear is such a weird thing, man. It's one of those things that I learned like a long time ago not to like put too much stock into cuz at the end of the day I've seen people with, you know, terrible. I've seen Cody Brooks play guitars with action on like that big and yeah. blow my fucking mind.
1: <laughs> well, it's so all like, about man. what you you feel good about as a player. Exactly. Exactly. And that that's what it, I think really what it comes down to for me is cuz so much it's it's really ninety percent mental when you get on stage. It's like ten percent the work that you've done to prepare. Uh,
0: Miles Davis said it. It's uh, it's ten percent you the. It's ten percent the notes you play and ninety percent the attitude of the motherfucker that plays. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. It's, that's that's real, man. That's when people tell me when somebody comes up about uh wants to bring up, like, singing and rock and roll music. Like, well, I can never do, I'm not a good singer. I was like, bro, you know how many fucking huge, great, amazing fucking frontmen aren't good singers at all? Well, Ah!
1: Mick Jagger. Tons of them. Yeah, Iggy Pop. Tons of them. David Bowie's an actually good singer.
0: Iggy Pop's an amazing example. Like, amazing example.
1: Yeah, like, uh, Alex Turner, he's another example. I I wouldn't say his voice is, like, classically great as a singer, but he's a good frontman. He has a... A vibe about it. That's it.
0: Well, I think it's a lot like modeling. And this sounds like maybe interesting, but I think singing Mm -hmm. and the tonality and the timbre of your voice and everything you put behind your voice, people have told me it's not necessarily that models are pretty. Models are unique. Interesting. So if your voice is unique and like I hear your struggle and I believe your struggle, then I'm much more apt to be like, I fuck with this guy. I love this.
1: Well, people connect with real. You got to think about Tom Waits. You know, I'm.
0: Great example. Yeah, great he's, example.
1: he's not like a, a – or Bob Dylan. You yeah, know? I mean, that's always a good
0: one to go through yeah, as well.
1: Yeah, there's there's so many great um, artists out there that aren't, gr- like, great singers that, that aren't, like, Adele singers. Exactly. You know what I'm, exactly. I'm saying?
0: I think that's always been, like, coming full circle back around to, like, trying to shift through a scene – And, like, really try to, like, push and promote the right bands and support the right bands at the right times to try and get everybody to, like, their next little, like, push this music out, get through this next obstacle, play this show, replace this band member. And I think a lot of times, like, especially in the promoting game, somebody becomes, like, a metal promoter or a a jam band promoter or an EDM promoter yeah. or something, you fall into a particular scene of music. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, I've always fallen into a particular geographically seen yeah. as opposed to his genre. And in a lot of ways, like that same aspect of community where like multi-genre shows where you have like three or four different people that sound nothing like each other. One guy might be a phenomenal singer and the other guy's not necessarily a great singer, but he's an insane front man. Mm-hmm. And it's like these things are all gonna complement each other in the grand scheme of like, yo, there's something there's something here for everybody. Mm-hmm. And like that, even the essence of that is like what I've always tried to push with Possum Stock. Yeah. Is like, hey, we've built this annual festival that was essentially was supposed to be like the death rattle of this community. And it's maintained year after it's kept year, going. Other venues like have a come possum and gone,
1: playing dead. It
0: plays dead, but it never really goes away. Yeah, and that's kind of been the full circle thing about Possum Stock because years and years we've had EDM DJs, country bands, bluegrass bands, jam bands, everything, metal bands. Flummox played last year. We've had a the best. I do have one possum story. I gotta I gotta chime in for we leave. Okay, okay, okay. This is a great throwback, and it's hilarious now because I've had two or three people going through their stuff online. To find pictures of this, because it totally happened, but we have to find pictures of it so we have proof. <laughs> in 2017, we moved Possum Stock to Kentucky one time. It was in Gracie, Kentucky. And we got to fight with the cops of the county, all kinds of stuff. Oh, but shit. But here's where it gets wild. At that summer, in that same weekend, we did Possum and Gracie. The front man of Wheatus was on a solo tour across America, he stayed in Clarksville. And he stayed with one of our good friends, Bendorf. Shout out, Bendorf. Um, and Bendorf hits me up and he's like, hey, man, Possum Stocks this weekend. And I was like, yeah, dude. And he's like, well, I'm going to throw a house show. And I said, all right, Bendo, I think everybody's going to be out of Possum, but like, why are you telling me? He's like, because I think you need to put the guy on Possum Stock. And I said, who is it? And he's like, it's a frontman of weedus. Oh, shit. So we put the frontman of weedus up. What's the guy's name? Um, I get a call. He's like, "Hey, dude, he's gonna stay at my house tonight anyway." Um, but do you have spot for him at Possum Stock? And I said, "Bro, uh, yeah, uh, we we can we can make it happen." So that was the only year we ever did a. Um, the only year we ever did three days. We did Sunday as well, and he did his thing in Nashville on Saturday. And him and Bendorf came out to the grounds to the fucking festival on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. And he's like, hey, man, you called me playing a solo set? And I was like, absolutely. Was it just him and acoustic? It was just him and an acoustic guitar, dude. He played like ten songs, and he closed on Teenage Dirtbag. And I sat there at Possumstock while the dude playing Teenage Dirtbag didn't play a cover of it because he fucking wrote it. And I was like, the Teenage Dirtbag guy is here. On a Sunday, playing for, like, 75 people in the rain. Because it was raining that day.
1: Of course it was. Of course it.
0: And he, it was awesome. We yeah. got pictures. Everybody was like, bro. I had so many people walk up to me and be like, the front man of Weedus is here. And I was like, I know! That's crazy, that's, dude. That's the coolest possum story, honestly. There's, Who, a, there's a bunch, but that's the big one. That's the who's
1: playing ones. this year?
0: Uh, Nashville wise, Tails, Taylor Cole's band. Yeah. Um, flight attendant. They've been killing it a bunch. They're a killer. Yeah. Uh, she used to be in Crumb Snatchers. Um, their front it, woman.
1: Tennessee Muscle Candy's playing too, right?
0: Yeah, dude, Alexis. Tennessee Muscle Candy is playing. Tennessee Muscle Candy is I've been Muscle trying to get Tennessee Muscle Rad, Candy dude. to come back and play. She played the December before COVID. She played, uh, the matchbox the house shows in clarksville oh shit she played up there with my band the yonders and um she was phenomenal and I, we've not been able to get her back until now and i'm so yeah
1: she's she's truly fantastic she just did zeppelin night too yeah
0: i wanted to be at that but i work nights too so I yeah mean, like, oh dude as soon yeah, as i move down sweat, here we man. can make more things happen i'm trying to come out and watch more stuff yeah absolutely watch my friends dude. do stuff
1: yeah i mean we're, we're always trying to, to do shit um for sure. When's your next big event? Danny, what is the next big one, bud? Uh, we don't really have, like, necessarily something that's announced yet, but... Um, oh, shit. Uh, can I talk about that thing we're doing? Yeah.
0: That, that's what I was going to say. I mean, there's... Yeah, nothing's really on the... I mean, there's things on the books, but... We got... Really
1: well, um, the thing I'm thinking of is the thing we're doing in September.
0: Yeah, you can talk about our
1: cover show, too, yeah. if you want. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so September it's nineteenth, right?
0: Uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, September nineteenth.
1: Yeah, we're doing. Yeah, it is. Um, we're doing a writer's round. This will be the second optimist, eat, sleep, rock writer's, writer's round. round. Tight. Um, and we're doing that at the five spot at s- from six to eight p.m.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. Nice. Nice. So. Good
1: uh so we got a couple different people isaac from the weird sisters okay he's playing
0: is he going to be playing weird sisters music or some of his own solo music i'm not sure yet you don't know yet okay. uh, i had okay. to kind of
1: twist his arm to do it because he talks so much shit he's always like i need i need to i need to play fucking solo sets just me and acoustic guitar i haven't done it in a long time so as soon as i knew we were doing it i the second one because he came out to the first one just in like watch yeah yeah and um, I was like, "Dude, you!" I called them right away as soon as I knew it. we were doing. I was like, "You have to do
0: this. It's not." I just and, started doing the same thing this summer, playing yeah. acoustic again because, like, you as a musician, sometimes you feel like you really need to get back. On. Well, it,
1: it just exp- you're exposed. You know, you're that's it. You're raw. That's it. Um, so Isaac's playing. Callie Cash is playing as well. Okay, she's a great uh, artist that performs here in Nashville. Who else do we got on the list? Uh, Danny. I have to pull it up on uh, my phone.
0: I honestly don't have it in front of me. Either, I I can dude. pull it up, okay. but yeah. How many? How do you guys do rounds? How many people?
1: Uh, so it'll be four people per round. Um, so each, so there's two rounds. Okay, You're so probably two songs. doing two or three songs, three oh, or two four or three songs a piece. Yeah. Okay. So but you guys it, do them like... It's like round-robin
0: style, though. So, so it is a 1-1-1, y- one, 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 yeah, one all right, exactly. tight. And then you'll take like an intermission and then a 1-1-1. One, 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 yeah, one, exactly.
1: One. Okay. So for this tight. one, the people that I have booked oh, Dust, for... Uh, Brother Dusty's... Uh, yes, of course. How could tight. I forget? Tight. How could I fucking forget? How could forget? You forget, bro? Um, Here. I don't know where I have it at That's my awesome. Phone. The
0: Tuesday after Possum. Yeah, You guys are doing it tight. Where Five spot. Okay, I love that you're... venue, dude. I love Cody.
1: Yeah, dude. Uh it is it is fucking rad as fuck. I love the Five Spot. Okay, so Isaac um Jasmine from Sheedness is playing. Okay. Brother Dusty, of course. In uh Valley. Jack Jackie Saturday, he's a he's a great um singer and guitar player. He plays a lot down on Broadway, too. Okay. Um and then I don't even know if I'm saying this right. Uh Rastlin Desley, he's a Raycelin, friend of
0: Raclin, he's from Clarksville. So
1: he's a friend of Isaac's. Yeah. So Isaac was like, "Hey, can my friend do this with me?" And I said, "Yeah." Yeah. Cuz if uh, Isaac saying someone's good, then they're he's,
0: good. He's uh he's from Clarksville. He is playing possum stock with his band Curly. Hell yeah. Cool. Raclin is.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, so it, that'll be fun. And then the other thing that we're doing, we don't have we don't know when we're doing this yet. Um, but you know, they do Zeppelin night, there's like a core band and they have a bunch of guests. Yep. We're doing the same thing except with Quentin Tarantino soundtracks. Fire. Yeah. That's awesome. So we don't know where we're going to do that at yet. We don't have a date, but that's basically the concept for that. Super pumped for it. That's tight. Yeah. And I'll be playing bass and like so in the you, house okay, band. you going to be in the house band. Yeah. So tight, it's going to be a, a lot of the, um, the pop. Is that how you
0: guys usually do those shows? Do you do like a house band and then have different singers?
1: Um so it's a little bit
0: guitar player different for, for Zeppelin
1: Night. Okay. I think they have they're going to have more get, like they had more guest a lot musicians. Of air weavings. Yeah, so I'm going to try and keep it as clean and tight as possible and so just one have one band with singers. Yeah, Got one you. band with singers. That's
0: easier to do. I uh, yeah. I do the my Morning Jacket tribute of course in Nashville. Uh-huh. And uh it's set up kind of the same way where I have the back line. Yeah. And bands may switch out and but like There's kind of a couple core people that are, if they need to play on certain sets, they will. Yeah. And uh, it's making that production-wise as hell sometimes. Like, getting that to, like, really go through and, like, fundamentally, like, work right.
1: When you you just have so many moving parts and pieces, that's what makes it hard. And that's why I want to keep it as the same core band. And just have musicians that I know can play a lot of styles and genres. Because we're touching... On funk, you soul, to, yeah. R&B, sir. you have to. Yeah, it's it's all sorts of different stuff. And I, I just, it's been a dream of mine for so long to do something like that musically. Because truthfully, like, uh, I, I release solo music as well. But he's like the biggest influence on the music that I actually make. Like, I, I would say for me, like, my production style, um, I try and be very cinematic with it. I always envision really cool. something, you know. Um, so, yeah, movies are a big influence on me. Um, but yeah, well, once we have kind of an actual date for that, I'm guessing it's going to be sometime early next year.
0: Tight, tight, um, tight. That's that's exciting though. That's a cool. That that should be a cool thing. That yeah, yeah. I, I, there's a definitely a cult film following like in Nashville of Tarantino already. Yeah. So like, for sure, I think I think you'll that'll be good from a promoter's perspective. You guys will do well
1: with that. Yeah, yeah. I I hope so. I think it'll be a good chance to to get to play a bunch of different styles and genres because. Like as a bass player, I feel like I can really do a lot. You know, I mean, right. I mostly do rock music just because that. What like, that's what you. That's what all my friends do, and I, I like rock music. Don't get me wrong, but um, really, like where I feel like I shine is being more in that musical kind of director role, okay. Hell working yeah. with that's artists cool, and coaching them through their shit.
0: Man, I, I feel like uh, there's a lot of social aspects aspects of it that don't get talked about enough
1: like oh yeah dude like
0: you can go on about like and that's the thing at the end of the day jimmy ivine i don't know who jimmy Iveen is yeah jimmy of course, of course. jimmy ivine said like no one got any no one ever got anywhere paying attention to everybody else and i've had to balance being an artist and a promoter a lot with that idea with like do I care what everybody's doing all the time? Do I care is playing here? Do I care is oversaturating here? Do I care is like, impending things and, like, hurting the venues of my community and possibly, like, hurting that on the basis of, like, being socially cool? Yeah. Like, especially when you come back, you talk about, like, house shows and stuff. We talk about, like, DIY. There's people that, like, DIY can certainly help businesses of our industry if it's cooperated and done correctly. Yeah. Doing the same show multiple times all the time doesn't do anything to a scene but hurt it. Yeah. And there's a lot of things. Because everybody stops showing up. There's, I feel really strongly about a lot of things like that. And, like, I'm one of the people with that house show series that you played. Um, I formulated that house show series. I came into that with the idea that if this is set up and staggered out correctly, if we're booking half local and half out of town bands, we have the means to bring in bands to a crowd before they ever have a chance to play to nobody. Mm-hmm. and if we bring in the new acts that we want to bring to town that ultimately come to this party once a month and meet all these fucking scene kids, yeah, like, that takes the burden of debuting those acts off the local venues. Yeah. And if you do that, because if you push that out and you book all the same bands all the time on every DIY show you do, you're killing your local venue. Because you're taking all the draw that they need from the locals when all the locals are just going to go to the party because it's, you know, it's bare bones. It's yeah. it's not rules. It's where everybody can go do coke in the bathroom and it's not as big of a deal.
1: Yeah, they can just but smoke weed right in the garage. It's, and it's
0: not a big deal when you can't do that at a bar. But it, there's, it's a really give-and-take scenario. Because it's cool to be the, the, the party guy. It's cool to be the guy behind the party. But at the same time, if you're not, like, constructively trying to help your community, in the long run, are you really being cool or are you being an asshole? Yeah. You know? And I think a lot of times we forget about that. And especially you guys with Nashville, it's such a larger market than mine. Mm -hmm. So like, there's always different stuff going on in other places and always like multiple scenes kind of like in, you know, encompassing each other and overlapping in different like areas. But I think a lot of those principles still kind of remain true. Yeah. And a lot of times I felt like, uh, sometimes like, Folk, like, Jimmy Iovine said, focus on the art, you know? Like, focus on the important part of this business. But it's really hard to not get wrapped up in some of the other aspects of it. All the bullshit that comes yeah, with, with it. Yeah, all the bullshit that definitely comes with it. And it's like, I've, uh, I've over the years, I've certainly rubbed people the wrong ways a few times. But at the end of the day, I've, like, I like to think I've maintained, like, some integrity about the way I try to, like, sure. like keep production and shows and stuff running. Yeah. Because, like, doing those house shows... We, uh, never let this, never, if you have a scene that's big enough and active enough, there's no band that should play that show twice in a row. Like, not at all. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, we we thrived in that period in Clarksville really hard because every time one of these bands that someone loved at one of those shows would come three months later, they could play the venue and everyone would go see them because they still hadn't played the house show again. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in a lot of circles just fall on their friends and it's like, well, I'm going to get my friend gigs all the time. Where it's like, totally. And I've been guilty of that myself. Yeah. But it's, it's, they're two different worlds to look at it from. Because as an artist, you obviously want to like give attention and support to people that give you support and people that you align with and are obvious like friends. Totally. Yeah. But by the same token, like as a promoter, you gotta look at like who's gonna bring people to my event, who's gonna draw heads out, who's gonna be able to show face and actually pull weight on something. Totally. And it's interesting when you're when you're looking at a venue like Basement East or any of these large venues where you're dropping production prices where it's like, yo, dude, if we don't make, you know, twelve hundred bucks, we're not even making production. Mm-hmm. What's the point of being in this room? And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people down here over the years about stuff like that, just because I've had to be the dude back home doing that for years
1: being realistic about it and it's
0: and that's it's trying to be realistic about it where can people find your band man if you google my name um i'm on spotify i'm on instagram i'm on everything i have a cody parson and the heavy change is the band i play with the most down here um i'm really aiming to this year if anyone actually hears about it i'm really eager to start doing a lot more solo performances and stuff i uh i bought a new acoustic this summer and i started writing a lot on that again and that's kind of how i started and it's gotten me back to a much more vulnerable state and to a place where, like, I don't want to rely on having a really good, tight backing band. But you can find me on uh, all the socials. I'm on Insta, TikTok. I'm all over uh, Facebook. I'm pretty active on Reddit. <laughs> I'm, Fuck uh, yeah. Um, any kind of DIY communities anywhere, man. I'm pretty active in a lot of groups online. Just trying to uh, find the people that make the the dream work, ultimately. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so,
0: Possum Stock. When is it, September 14th? September 15th and 16th. 15th and 16th. It's two days, 40 bucks till the end of this weekend. You can get pre-sale tickets, 40 bucks. Um, It's 35 bands. Uh, Tails, Flight Attendant, Crocodile, Tennessee Muscle Candy, Young Robot, Debra, Ollie. There's a bunch of Nashville bands playing it. Um, Ultimately, the big thing that I really... I guess we'll reiterate about possum stock is for that weekend. We really try to remember and like focus back on and commemorate the community aspect of stuff because we've had we've been rained on like hell. We've had faulty elements. We've done it all with possum stock over yeah. almost a decade, and people still ask me every year, "Like, you booked possum stock yet?" Possum yeah, stock. So we just keep doing it because it's the one little uh, little stranglehold of uh, DIY I still kind of maintain. So,
1: dude, well, thank you so much for coming on
0: yeah thank you guys for having
1: me keep on dreaming see you next week